So today, we are in Daniel chapter 7 in this exile series. Two weeks ago, we were in Daniel chapter 6, and today we go to Daniel chapter 7. And that makes sense, but there's actually a, a monumental change that happens here, just in this one chapter. Because we're going to go from the chronology, that's the word, of Daniel and his friends' lives, and uh, just stories that are told, to the chronology of a series of visions and dreams that just Daniel has. And what happens here? Stick up the next slide there, Jordan. The book of Daniel split into two parts. The first part is 60 years, I think. Yeah, 60 years, approximately, of the stories of really just six stories of Daniel and his friends' lives. And that's actually really important in itself because we think of the Bible, again, we talked about this the first few weeks, but we think of the Bible as like this non-stop miracle, pizzazz, God's moving, smoke, fire, blah, blah, blah. But actually, there's just six stories that happen over a 60-year period. So on average, that is just one supernatural story every 10 years. And, and they are spectacular, but 10 years is a long time to forget. 10 years is a long time to, to go between these moments where you see God. And so one really important thing to remember again and again and again is that in some ways, I was going to say more importantly, but in some ways more importantly than those six events is that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael, I keep on thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whatever their Hebrew names were, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They, one thing that's so significant is that for 60 years, they just did their jobs as civil servants to kings. And they did their jobs well with wisdom, with practicality, with, with gifting. And it was that day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, that put them in the place to have these six moments where God was able to use them. And we can't lose that fact in the midst of the amazing stories that are so important of what God did through them. So God splits the book into this. The first six chapters are those 60 years, and then the final chapters until chapter 12 are 20 years of dreams and visions. And as you can see in that diagram up there, they overlap each other by about 10 years. So this morning, we're going to jump back 10 years to before the lion's den, to before the writing on the wall, before Stan and before... Murph said to me last week, or two weeks ago, wasn't that brilliant that Stan talked about the, the chapter of the lion's den without ever mentioning the lion's den? What a brilliant, fresh look. We don't need... There was so much learning in that chapter without even looking at the lion's den. So we're going to skip back before this. So, but the other thing we need to remember is that uh, Daniel lived 70 years in Babylon, or 70, 80 years maybe in, maybe in total. But this book is not just the story of his life and his friends' lives and his life. We don't know how long his friends lived. But it's also the story that overlaps at least four kings, Daniel's life. But not even that. Maybe any long life could if the king, although our queen's been queen for so long, we don't remember what was before that. Stones and things. Um, but more than that, it also overlapped the fall of one kingdom 
his own kingdom fell, the kingdom of Judah, and then it overlapped the ri- well, the final rise and fall of the massive kingdom of Babylon, or the, the empire of Babylon. And then Daniel also saw the rise of the next massive empire, the Medo-Persian empire of Darius and, and Cyrus. Darius and Cyrus, yeah. Who, who, who we've just met, but we're going to leap before those things. So Daniel's seen a fair bit of stuff in his lifetime. And he would have an incredible perspective, as I was thinking about this, of the, um, of the pride and maybe the foolishness of men and, and of kings of men who think that, you know, my kingdom is the final kingdom. Many have gone before me, but we are the ones that are going to last forever. We are the ones that have sorted this out. We are the ones that have arrived. And, and the lesson from today, today is, is the, the sneak preview of the lesson today is they're not the ones that are going to last. None of them are going to last. So Daniel sees all that, but Daniel doesn't just see all that chronology of life. As we get into this chapter, as we start this chapter, God actually gives Daniel a vision of not just what has come, but what is going to come. And this, these chapters, these next five chapters, are a huge, um, monumentous chapters in the lives of the Israelites. These chapters in this book will become their rallying cry, will become the books, the, the chapters the religious leaders memorize as they look to their future. This is what it's all about. But before we get into it all, so at, at the very start of it, we meet four beasts in the famous four beasts of Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to get into the culmination of this. We're going to get into a bit of the interpretation. We're not going to go too deep in 30 minutes. I, we were laughing. We'll give Karen that in, in a few weeks to go into all the crazy complex interpretations of all this stuff. But I want to look at, at uh, these initial four beasts and a bit of an immediate interpretation. Because many scholars and many theologians recognize that the accuracy of this as it evolved, as it came to pass, was, was, would give incredible hope to the Israelites over the next five or so hundred years. So let's look at this. Daniel chapter 7, 1 to 7. We're just going to jump into the first bit of it. And I'm actually not going to read it yet. But Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, stick the next picture up. Artist interpretation gives us this incredible picture of the famous four beasts of Daniel. So we have first a lion, and it has wings. And then second, we get a bear. It's raised up on one side. Then third, we get a leopard with four wings. And fourth, we get a terrifying beast of some sort. And we heard Bethany read it amazingly with massive iron teeth that trample and devour. And then the amazing thing, so Daniel has this vision, and he's terrified, or he's troubled by the vision, so he asks for an interpretation. And we get, and I say this very sarcastically, we get an extensive and long-winded interpretation of what these four beasts are. Put this up, put this up, Jordan. So Daniel's just had his dream, and now he approaches, he says, I approached one of those standing there in his dream and asked him the meaning of this. So he told me, and he gave me the interpretation of these things. You ready for it? This is long-winded. This is very extensive. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. 
So the interpretation Daniel gets, we'll get to questions later, but the interpretation Daniel gets is this. You saw these things, there's the beast, there was leopard, there was all this stuff. Daniel, the four great beasts are four kings that are going to come. <laughs> That's what's happened, but God's people are going to inherit the kingdom. But the amazing thing, and we'll get into more of it, but the amazing thing is that even just with this little bit that Daniel has, the interpretation or the outworking of this dream is going to be incredibly accurate. And as I said, it's going to give incredible hope to the, to the people of Israel in the next 500 years. So we're, we're not just going to go through details of this, but I want to go through these first four beasts. So beast one is the lion with wings. And this is the kingdom that Daniel's living in. Jeremiah refers to Nebuchadnezzar as the lion, and we're not going to go, he was raised up and become like a man, and there's lots of stuff we could go into. But this is the kingdom that Daniel is in. The first beast is the lion. And then the second beast is the bear that's raised up on one side, it has ribs in its mouth and all sorts of things. But this is the next kingdom that Daniel would live to see, probably, in, it, in its immediate interpretation. There's a whole eternal interpretation as well, but in, in its immediate interpretation. And this is the next kingdom that would come, the Medo-Persian Empire, with Darius and Cyrus. And Daniel would actually see, he'd prophesy into the day this happens and when Darius is killed. And then the third beast, this is something that Daniel would not live to see, the leopard with four wings. A leopard is fast. And four wings give an idea of speed, of like rapidity. That's a word, definitely. But the next empire that would rise in the world would be the Macedonians. And Alexander the Great would trample from Greece through Eastern Europe and way into Asia, conquering. And, and we have the famous misquote, actually, of Alexander the Great when he got to India or somewhere in the Far East and he, and he wept because there were no further lands to conquer. But Alexander the Great would conquer in 12 years all the way east, as far as he could go in Asia. And so we have this, this vision of the leopard with the four wings flying fast. And then we have the fourth beast and this almost indescribable beast with its iron teeth. And this, as many people think, is the Roman Empire as it came up. And the Roman Empire devoured all of Europe. And the Roman Empire devoured all the land around the Mediterranean. And the Roman Empire devoured all this land that the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians. So it was like no other beast that had been seen before it. And the incredible thing is that over the next 500 years, the Israelites were going to go back to the promised land. And then generation after generation of them were going to watch this unfolding. And so as this unfolded, they would be getting more and more hope, and we haven't even got to it yet, but they'd be getting more and more hope to the culmination of what was to come. And we're going to get to the culmination, but I want to look at this first. There's something before we get there that I want to read in Daniel chapter 7, 7 to 8. And it talks, Daniel actually doesn't care that much about the three first beasts, but he's really intrigued about the fourth beast with the iron teeth that tramples. And in Daniel chapter 7, 7 to 8, he says this, or the dream says this. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was the fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It wasn't a beast. It wasn't a lion. It wasn't a bear. It wasn't a leopard. It just had large iron teeth. It's represented before as a, as a dragon or as a, as a um, dinosaur. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled under feet whatever was left. 
It was different from all the other four beasts, and it had ten horns. And we're not going to get into all that. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up from among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And I want to talk about this for a second because I think this is so important. Because I think this boastfully speaking horn represents something significant and immediate that would happen in the prophetic future of, of the Israelites. But it also so clearly represents what every kingdom and every nation does. We've arrived, we're even us, we're the United Kingdom, <laughs> and we're in the Western, democratic, um, civilized, enlightened empire, capitalist empire. And even we think that we've arrived, and every other kingdom was comparatively minor and comparatively uncivilized compared to us. But the reality of this boasting of kings and kingdoms is the story as old as humanity. And I found this brilliant poem about, so English teachers out there, you're going to love this. I found this brilliant poem about Ozymandias by Percy Shelley's. Maybe some of you guys know this. And it's a poem about, stick the next slide up. Or two more, keep coming. Yep. It's a poem about a massive statue of, of Ramses II found in the desert, decrepit. There's a, there's a, a portraying of it. And it says this, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered vestige lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read. So it's basically, its face said that it had a good sculptor that knew the guy. You got that so far, right? Which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. I love that. It's the story as old as humanity. That horn that rises up and think that it's the horn greater than all the other horns and boasting to the earth and to heaven that no one can compare. We saw this about Nebuchadnezzar. We saw this about Belshazzar when he was drinking from the goblets of the temple and then destroyed. We saw this, we saw this, as was predicted in Daniel's dream of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, what did they boast of? The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that only we could bring as we've conquered all the barbarians in the whole known world. And we brought roads and we brought civilization. We brought peace. We're the Romans. But jump ahead 2,000 years. 
We look back and judge, but we do the exact same thing. The modern, enlightened, democratic, civilized, capitalist, self-actualized empire that we are, I can do whatever I want to do. I can say whatever I want to say, as long as I'm not hurting anyone. I don't have to answer to men. I don't have to answer to God. I can be or do whatever I want to be. No people on earth have ever had this level of personal rights and freedoms like we have had. No people have ever had the civilization like we have had. Look on in despair. Every kingdom and every nation has done this. In verse 11, Daniel repeats again about this horn. He says, Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. So the biggest thing that Daniel noticed about this fourth beast, other than the teeth, were the boastful words that the horn was speaking. But right in the middle of these boastful words, right in the middle of this horn, thinking it's dominating, thinking it's controlling, thinking that no one has the authority or power that like it, and it will last forever because it's crushed everything around us, all of a sudden Daniel's dream totally changes. And the pace slows down. And it's like there's a calm that comes over the room the space, the atmosphere. Verse 9 says this. As I looked, thrones were set in place. And I get the, the impression of it's just this calm. Doof, doof, doof. Whether it was 3 or 12 or 24 like in Revelation. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. This is reflected 700 years later in Revelation as well. Thousands upon thousands attended him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That's not a literal 100 million. That's just like uncountable people stood before him. But it wasn't chaos. Look at what it says. The court was seated. And the books were opened. And then we get back to that verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. Yeah, I see you setting up your court. I see your thrones. I see your book, but I'm... But then this last line, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire and just like that no fight 
no comeback, no rebuttal. It's done. The boasting, the independence, the arrogance, the cruelty, just leveled in the sight of the ancient of days. And as I thought about that, that is a pretty scary picture to think about. Unless you're like that horn, I suppose, and think that you're going to beat the king of kings. But that sort of power, that sort of awe, is a breath-removing picture. Unless your hope and your trust is in the one who sits on the throne. But what this shows us is that our lives are short. Forget about our lives. Kingdoms are short. Forget about kingdoms. Empires are short. And then we end up in this place in the courtroom of the Ancient of Days. And we're going to go to the culmination of this in a second. But I want to look at one other thing first. Because Daniel wasn't, there's four beasts in this chapter. But the first three beasts, Daniel's like, eh, leopard, or not, yeah, leopard, bear, lion, doesn't even, doesn't ask a question about them. But he's really interested in this fourth beast. And so he asks about it. Because the, the fourth beast talks, it talks about waging war against the holy people. And defeating them. And so Daniel asks for an interpretation of this. Verse 23 and 25 say this, or 23 to 25. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom and after them one king will arise different from all the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings and he will speak against the Most High and he will oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. And the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time and times and half a time, biblical language. And there's a whole lot to go into that that's a series and not a 30-minute talk. But Daniel right now is in exile. He's been dominated by a kingdom. He's a prisoner, although he has good position in this. His people have been humiliated. And he's being told right now by God that at least another time coming, his people are going to be humiliated again. His people are going to be defeated again. And that's a pretty sobering, and Daniel says a couple times, troubling and disturbing thought. But what I love about this is right after this is reiterated to him, it goes right back into the throne room. It says the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, time, and half a time. They will be defeated. But the court will sit. The beast's power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. And then the sovereignty 
and power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. And it's hard for us to even get to that place. Imagining eternity when we're so distracted by today. And I think worse for us, sometimes distracted by the wealth and just the comfort and the ease of today. But this is such an important picture to remember. As we get caught up in the stuff that's already been mentioned today, as we look at the news and watch coronavirus spreading across the globe, as we look at maybe the stock markets and our retirement or our savings depleting because money isn't secure, as we think about wars in the Middle East that we've kind of ignored now because coronavirus has taken there, but potentially incredibly explosive wars. Or as a Christian in Northern Ireland, if I want to follow this book that I believe has authority, can I still believe it? Can I still say I believe it? Can I still say some of the things that are in here? Even if I do it with grace and compassion, am I, am I allowed to say this stuff? If I'm a scientist, as many people would say, can I go into my university or into my workplace and say, I actually believe a, a, a creator did started this stuff? What? If I'm a medical professional, can I make conscience can i make decisions of genuine conscience and hope to keep my job i don't want to brush aside the reality of the consequences of this world because i know there are many of us who have serious consequences in our lives that are seriously dealing with troubles, external or internal. But the reality we get in Daniel chapter 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 is that there's a much bigger reality that surrounds us. Thrones will be set in place and the Ancient of Days will take his seat. The power of king, the kings of earth will be taken away and completely destroyed. And kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the whole holy people of the Most High. And if I'm honest, I find that even hard to imagine and get to. But it also needs to, I suppose, fill us with awe. But it needs to fill us with compassion and urgency for the world around us. As our lives wisp past. And as we, I remember Francis Chan wrote a book called Erasing Hell, just dealing with the, the reality of hell in the Bible. And he, several times through the book, he says, stop reading this book. Whether you're sitting in a coffee shop or at school, stop reading it and just look around you. 
Because this stuff is about the person across from you. This stuff is about your family member. This stuff is about the people you work with. This stuff is about the people you go to your school. Because everyone on this planet will one day face the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Ancient of Days. And this book, in the book of Revelation, I was going to say unfortunately, but just the reality of them, it gives us two options. We'll either inherit the kingdom and God's people will get the kingdom. And I don't think that's going to be sitting in church and some of you will be glad about that, singing songs forever. That might be part of it. (laughs) But we're going to inherit all that this world was supposed to be in the presence of God, without fear, without crying, without tears, without death, without mourning, forever and ever. That's the one side of it. Or this, and it's reiterated in Revelation as well. Or we will be destroyed and thrown into fire. And that needs to give us urgency and compassion and desire to live and speak. And people, do we realize what's going on here? And I pray as we come into prayer week that this picture of eternity and the throne room will awaken us to desire and to pray for and to beg God for renewal in his church and revival around us. That people will actually see, and we're blind most of the time, but people will actually see. And that people will actually see one thing that's left in this chapter, and when we're coming to a close with this. Daniel's, there's tons of stuff we haven't covered, and you'll be glad that I'm not going to cover all of it. <laughs> but Daniel's vision does one, mentions one more huge, momentous, massive character. Daniel's vision drops one more name that is so important, that is so powerful, that when Jesus calls himself this 600 years from now, the religious leaders start ripping their clothes and going crazy and crucify him, crucify him. I don't believe he said this. Hold on a second. And, G- and this, this, is, this, is the chap- this is the part, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. It says, in my vision, keep going. Keep going, there you go. In my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power and all nations and people in every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In my vision at night, and look, I looked and there before me was a son, was one like the son of man. This is an amazing revelation to us. I don't know if you're if you're anything like me, I read uh, the Gospels for ages and was really frustrated that Jesus never just said, hey guys, I'm God. 
Hey guys, I'm the chosen one. Hey guys, I'm the Messiah. He seemed to always talk in code. But what we recognize as we go to uh, the book of Daniel is that Jesus did not talk in code at all. Jesus talked in total clarity, especially to the religious leaders. And this was the vision that, 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 not the vision, the comparison that popped into my head. Who here has seen Star Wars? Seven people. I think you're all lying. (laughs) If I were to walk into a Star Wars convention and say, I'm going to do this, Luke. I am your father. Who am I? I didn't need to tell you that. Everyone below, these guys are going, actually, you're probably not. Who is he talking about, you oldies? That movie was before I was born. But if I were to walk in to a Star Wars convention or into a church and say that, you wouldn't say, Paul, why are you being so vague? Why are you beating around the bush? Why aren't you telling us who you are? You know exactly who I am. And that's what it was like when Jesus stood before the religious leaders in Matthew 26. That's how monumentous Daniel chapter 7 is. The religious leaders in Matthew chapter 26 says, say, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus says, you have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This chapter was what the Israelites were waiting to see happen. But they could not accept as they saw someone looking like Colin or Dave or whoever sitting right before them. Someone who was a weak man, a humble man in some ways. Someone who was willing to die. That this is the culmination of all we've been waiting for. Paul knew this. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, like a son of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ walked into a Star Wars convention and went, he didn't do that. But he said, the son, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. And then he didn't dominate and brush them away like the Ancient of Days he laid down. That's the incredible picture that the Jews were waiting for, and most of them still can't see it. But that we're going to see the outcome of so that we can stand before the Ancient of Days someday.
because God loved the world so much. And we know this over and over again, that he gave his only son so that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We have four beasts, and immediately it was incredible how they came to pass, and I think there's eternal and long-coming fulfillment of this still to come. We have this incredible picture of the Ancient of Days who we will all sit before. But we also know that we get to sit beside the Son of Man at the throne. And that's the incredible picture that we see in Daniel chapter 7 and that we need to get in our brains. Let me pray. You guys come up. Yeah. Lord, I thank you so much for so much in this chapter. And I pray that you can speak it to our hearts so much better than I articulate it. Yeah, I just pray, Lord, give us your picture of the Ancient of Days and your rest in the Son of Man. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.